I know a I, friend who actually did marry her her driver. Uh, yeah. I think Met it was her uniform, driver. But, very sexy. That, yeah. That, that yeah. Amazon Prime membership paying off. <laughs> nice. Dear Shandy. Welcome back to Dear Shandy listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you today? Doing okay. Doing okay? Yeah. I'm excited. Me too. This is a topic that I, I, I have so many questions. As do I. We're going to have to control ourselves. Yes. Yeah. I think there's a lot One of hour. curiosity. And when we pulled our shandies that we would be interviewing, not only a matchmaker, but a very renowned and like seasoned matchmaker. <laughs> it's in her blood. Mm -hmm. The questions rolled in. So oh, yeah. we'll be busy today. But first, I will introduce our wonderful guest. I must correct myself. On Instagram, I said she was a third-generation matchmaker. I was wrong. She's a fourth-generation wow. matchmaker. Yeah. She's the founder and CEO of Agape Match, the nationally acclaimed matchmaking service with a whopping 93% success rate that has won Best Matchmaking Agency by the U.S. Dating Awards and Best Matchmaking Service by Time Out. She has been featured on the Today Show in the New York Times, the Financial Times, Time Magazine, Esquire, and the Washington Post, among others. She's known for combining her family's tradition of matchmaking with modern relationship psychology for award-winning results. And she's the host of the Ask a Matchmaker podcast and can be found dishing dating advice on Instagram at Matchmaker Maria. Thank you so much, Maria Avgatidis, Matchmaker Maria, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So before we get going, we have lots of questions and there's sort of two columns and I'm sure you're used to this, but some questions are about matchmaking, what you do, what you see, how it all works, but also dating today. And mm -hmm. so there's the business and dating. But first, of course, we want to get to know you. I think a lot of people already know who you are. But for those who don't, we'd love to know how you got into matchmaking. I know it runs way back in the family, but just because something runs in the family doesn't mean you're going to do it. So what made you think, okay, I'm going to take the baton, take over from here? Yeah. I think it's funny because I don't think about my grandparents ever until I'm on a podcast and people are reading my bio and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> there's that. Because it's really far away from what I do every day. Um, you know, my grandmother who was a matchmaker and her mother and her grandmother, uh, my grandmother died before I was born. So I never got the stories directly from her. I would get them from my mom or her sister who was like a surrogate mom for my mom you know, what that looks like. And also what matchmaking looked like in Greece prior to 1980, um, which was a very, I mean, that was a, a way people met in a lot of villages and islands. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's very different than what I do uh, now, right? You know, my grandmother, she was a essentially community leader. She made the best coffee and people would tell her all the gossip. So then sure enough, when like Mr. Costa comes by and he's like, I need a groom for my daughter, you know, she knew like, okay, she likes him. Um, <laughs> you know, they've, they've got good harvest together, maybe figuratively <laughs> yet literally, you know, there's like all these things that I think were being considered. And it's like, yes, these, these people should marry. You know, you think about like their core values and you know, how they'll contribute to the community. Um, that's very different than what mm -hmm. I do, which mm -hmm. is um, I don't know people in my village of Manhattan or, you know, I have clients in other cities too. And so I have to hit the ground running with recruitment. Um, I also get paid cash. Um, I think my grandmother got married in like a lot of barter system, right? Like maybe mm -hmm. some cash was involved, but, you know, certainly goats and eggs, goats. you know, goat milk. <laughs> What was a good, like, what was a good amount of goats for a woman back then? 
for a like, woman. I don't know about dowry, but um, but you know, I'm saying it's like the matchmaker. Like, what would you give the matchmaker for making a good? Oh, match? the matchmaker gets goats. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, well, you know, gets why not goats. get? Why not get a goat? So it's just very yeah. different than like what I do today in 2023. Like, you know, we're talking about what happened in like you know, um, 1950. But what I will say now is that I think after the pandemic, people are now, I have noticed a difference in matchmaking that people are way more attuned to like emotional equity in their house because the social design of a relationship has shifted dramatically in the last three years. Mm. That's interesting because obviously people have more choice now. They pick a mate for out of choice. So like, I like this mate. I want to mm-hmm. be with them as opposed to back in your grandmother's time when it was more functional. Um, do you do think you, people are picking right now? Cause I don't, I don't think, I think people are paralyzed from choice. Oh, oh, we can get into that. Oh, oh yeah. I absolutely well, okay. agree with you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, but I'm saying, do you think that we still are searching for that old school functionality in the end? Like, do you think that still holds even in this world of extreme choice? I don't have the statistic, but there is like a heavy majority of people who will end up marrying someone that is only one degree away from them. Mm, And I think what the difference is between then and now, it's like funny, like we think we have these really active lives, but you know, a lot of men, for instance, don't have a lot of friends in their adulthood and a lot of women, Mm. they tend to become friends with the same four people who aren't providing more to their network. Mm. So I always say to people, like, if you really want to be in a relationship this year, you know, there are certain things that you can do that have nothing to do with, you know, the online dating apps, which by the way, I have no hate for, I think they can be really great tools, but those things include you making friends Mm -hmm. because like I just said, a heavy majority of people, they're only one degree away from that person. The way to increase your chance of being part of that group is to start, you know, spreading out your, let's call, I call it like a spider web. You start making your network connections, you know, Think about four things you can go to. I actually just had this homework assignment for a client yesterday. I said to her, I need you to go to four events by the end of February. Mm -hmm. And she picked like a photography walk in her city. She picked a lecture at the local independent bookstore. Um, She picked to go to like a yoga and beer on the rooftop thing. Um, And then she picked like, um, even though she has no intention of investing, she went to like an investor symposium thing. That's Mm -hmm. what she's planning on going to. But all those are the purpose to like talk to people during the networking hour, exchange Mm -hmm. cards, follow up with those people, make plans to go out with those people. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how you make those networks. Yeah. Yeah. We always talk about that. You have to be out in the world to meet people. People expect to sit at home and it just to happen. Yeah. They I mean, unless you marry your UPS driver, which yeah. is yeah. <laughs> a really great strategy for some people. Yeah. I mean, I know a friend who actually did marry her, her driver. And yeah. <laughs> I think that in uniform, driver, but, very sexy. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that yeah. Amazon Prime membership paying off. <laughs> nice. Good. <laughs> okay. okay. So would you say that there is more of a percentage of any particular religion or culture that t- that seeks matchmaking, that seeks this type oh, of service? Oh, yeah. In the past, it was definitely like Jewish heavy and Hindu heavy mm. in really? terms of like religious demographic. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, you don't have to look surprised. at, don't, I don't have to say it. Like, look at the industry, right? Like um, the industry, in, I think in America is made up of like, let's say 400 matchmakers, right? I think like 90%. If we just look at the core matchmakers that are like very active, like the boutique services, right? If we look at like the 200 matchmakers, right? Something like 90% of them are of Jewish faith. Mm. Like wow. it's in, it's crazy to me, like to see like how 
this industry tends to attract also like the colleagues that fit into that demo of a very small demo too. So that used to be like a pretty big, but I think as matchmaking has become more popular over the last 10 years. So you do see now, you know, I mean, my office now sees way more people that were raised in the Catholic religion, even Mm. though they might not be practicing anymore. uh, We do see a, you know, massive increase in Catholics, um, coming to our service, um, than ever before with Greeks. I, it's funny, like, cause I am Greek. I only have maybe since the beginning, since I started my company, I might have one or two Greek clients a year. Um, even though there's no other Greek matchmaker in the country, uh, because every time I meet a Greek guy, they're like, wait, I have to pay for this. This isn't mm-hmm. free. The archdiocese <laughs> isn't paying you to make more Greek babies. And I'm like, no, like, it's not like that. And that, you know, that has to, it goes back to like, you know, Greek people, um, Greek Americans, especially they're very social. So if you, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, I see this also with gay matchmaking, like gay matchmaking, and that has become more popular over the last 10 years, but gay matchmaking, that's such a social group in itself, the gay community, like Greek Mm. Americans, like Lebanese Americans, right? Like there are certain groups that just have all these like social events around their community or their neighborhoods where you already know a lot of people or you're meeting other people, or you can go to like a concert. That's like right now, for instance, on April 1st, I'm going to Peggy Zena concert. Peggy Zena is like this massive artist in Greece and she's coming to Queens. And of course I'm going to go, there's going to be 2000 other people in that room. And to me, it's like, I mean, I don't need to give away cards, but it's like, if I knew that if I had a Greek client, uh, I would totally put on, like, I would totally be like scouring, like, Hey, who wants to be matched? Maybe if I don't have to do that now, it's, you know, people can just join my database. <laughs> okay. So speaking of which oh, I'm so torn, like I have, I had sub questions to that question. We'll say that. I'm okay. Well, let, that. Okay. Yeah, before yeah. I move on, but it's just, you, you, that was such a good segue, but I'm going to resist taking the segue because I want to know. In your experience, can people from two very different cultural upbringings still be a good match? Um, this was a Shandy's question, one of our yes listeners. Yes and no. And I think the no is how that answer, I think the question is not being articulated correctly. And I'll <laughs> tell you what that is, right? So there's a difference between religious upbringing or ethnic upbringing and cultural upbringing. Mm -hmm. So like your personality is made up of two things, right? It's made up of your temperament. So that's your genetic code, you know, how you measure risk or um, how you behave. Um, You know, it's something like something in like spontaneousity or um, how deeply analytical are you or do you daydream? You know, like these sort of things are in your temperament, right? And then the other part of your personality is your culture and experiences, so when you say different cultures, my, my, my first thought is like, okay, what, what does that mean? Like, what kind of culture are we talking about? Because right. there is a way that you just will never get along because you have mismatched cultures. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that just because you're the same culture means that you're a good match because again, we go back to temperament and there's also a variety, you know, compatibility is a multi-layered Musaka. It's not a cake, right? Cake is multi-layered in the cake. You could take a bite anywhere and it's okay. But musaka, which is a Greek dish with like eggplant and potato and bechamel sauce and meat, you need all of those ingredients to make that one bite, right? And so compatibility has to make up all those things. So to go back now to the question, I when people say like, oh, I'm Jewish and they're Catholic, can this work? Uh, the answer to that is automatically yes. I don't know if it's going to work for them as a specific to that couple because they have to have different discussions. But let me let's take it another way, right? Is it 
guarantee that just because you share the same culture with someone, it's going to work out. Absolutely not. Mm. Right. One of the things that um, I constantly see is that people will get in relationships with someone that might share the same faith with them, especially like smaller religions. Right. I'll take mine, for instance, I'm Greek Orthodox Christian, which means that for the most part, most Greek Orthodox people were not religious at all. It's more of a cultural thing, Mm -hmm. your community, all that stuff. And I will see like Greek women with Greek men in America in really bad relationships, but they'll say stuff like, but he's Greek. And it's like, yeah, just because someone has a similar ethnic background to you doesn't mean it's going to work. You're going to have different upbringings, right? Your parents come with their own generational trauma, different flavors. Uh, They're going to parent you in a certain way and they're going to share those values in that way. Um, But also you have your own path as an adult and you're going to gain certain things in that. So to go back to culture, right? There is a place in that community where a Greek American woman, uh, and I'm using that community specifically, right? Cause I tend to see the, I tend to see that, you know, I want to pick on my own community and I want to pick on another community. Um, you'll see like a woman, she'll go and get her, you know, her bachelor's, she'll go get her MBA and which is great. She should do that. She should totally empower herself. And instead of just being open to a man who might value education, like she values education or, um, might have the same financial compatibility in the sense of like lifestyle compatibility, like how you value the way you spend your time and how you value the way you spend your money. They'll say like, well, he has to be Greek first deal breaker. Hmm. But like, so suddenly you've eliminated all of these amazing men. And that doesn't guarantee that any of those men are going to be the fit for you. That's like the extreme need versus want. Like your want isn't even accurate. Yeah. You don't even really want that. You just think you want it. But a lot of people do that. Right. And like there is like, I mean, I I see this a lot in the Jewish community. Like some people will, (laughs) I've had this question sent to me a few times where it's like, you know, I'm dating a guy who's Jewish. Uh, I'm not Jewish, but he says I have to convert because his grandmother survived the Holocaust and it's to honor her. And I'm like, That is insane. Like, I understand what that person is trying to say, not the woman, the man to that woman that like, I can understand your, your grandmother survived the Holocaust. Wow. Okay. But to choose a religion should be, is the first thing choice, right? You can't impose a religion on someone that doesn't belong to that religion as mm-hmm. a condition to marry you. Mm, right. Sex that's sitting. not, that's not how this works. So I want to now get to that question that like, the segue, the missed segue, okay. uh, because we're very curious about how clients come your way. You, you know, you talked about maybe handing out cards. You don't need to do that anymore. I'm curious how much of a role do word of mouth scouting or just like basic Google searches play into all this? Yeah. On the business side, um, you know, we have to remember that like there's two routes to work with me, right? There's the client side and then there's the free database side. Uh, and that free database, you know, someone would go to my website at copymatch.com and, you know, you follow the prompts and you just stay in my database. The client side though is there's two routes. There's matchmaking and there's coaching and matchmaking is tends to be more um, man-based. You know, my services has the more emotional bandwidth to deal with men. And then the coaching side, uh, we used to take on women for eight years. It's predominantly coaching side is predominantly women because, and we, we push that more because it has a higher success rate, um, in then matchmaking for women. Now, if a woman is insistent on wanting to work with a matchmaker, that's first of all, that's awesome. We would have a conversation with her to determine who the right matchmaker, um, is in our preferred partners. So we do work with matchmakers who only work with women. Uh, and they'll send us their mails. Um, so we have that relationship that 
symbiotic relationship to balance like mm-hmm. our emotional bandwidth as you know professionals in service industry. With that said, how do people find us? Uh, there's a variety of people find us. People find us through podcasts. People find us through Google. Google's a you know is a heavy part of how I think people might hear about us. But um, ultimately, I think social media and I have my own podcast, Ask a Matchmaker, that helps a lot with creating the brand awareness for matchmaking. So for instance, I had a client, um, he hired us back in September and the way he heard about us was that he had just done like a Labor Day weekend with all of his friends. And he was the only single one in that group. And the girls in that group, you know, the wives and girlfriends of that group were like, you need to hire a matchmaker. We're going to do the, they didn't know about me. Right. But they were like, we're going to do research and we're going to find the matchmaker they're going to hire. And when they did their research, I I guess they said, you have to hire Maria. And uh, that was how that relationship started with us. So, you know, word of mouth is always important to us. Mm -hmm. So you briefly said, you said this in past, you you talked about the bandwidth to Mm -hmm. handle male clients. Can you talk about that a bit more? What does that mean exactly? Yeah. um, So it's funny, like, it's, it goes both ways, right? So there's four types of clients. I'm going to be very general now, right? So there's, there's, there's straight men. Mm-hmm. there's straight women, there's gay men, and then there's lesbian women. And not every group is created equal. So if you were to say like who the easiest clients are, it's lesbian women. Um, oh, they are just, they're just awesome. Like they, and <laughs> we have a lesbian, we have a preferred lesbian matchmaker. I mean, she happens to be lesbian, but she specifically has a massive, database of other lesbians. So that way she can, you know, give, um, the integrity, you know, the search integrity, it's value. This after that is straight men for the most part as matchmaking clients. I mean, it's a pretty big gap. So like, let's say lesbian women are at the bottom of the mountain. Um, straight men are like midway in that mountain. So there it has to do with like, do you have the database is your database diverse or big enough to support the search that this person is asking for? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about like paying clients. So that's, I have to say that, right? So with a male, like, I think I can speak to a guy without feeling like scared of like, I don't have a problem getting pushback from men. Like, I think my job is to also like open their minds a little bit, kind of big sister them a little bit mm-hmm. of like, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot or, Hey, this is your insecurity coming out. Or I think you're projecting, um, some matchmakers just don't want to deal with that. And that's okay. Right. Like I don't want to deal with other things as well. So, uh, I'm able to have that relationship with my clients. Um, so that's, that's the bandwidth for that. Right. But that takes a lot of bandwidth, right? Like a lot of matchmakers that work with straight men, they're kind of spent from working with the other groups. Mm. So they're like, okay, this is, this is my lane. This is what I know. I can just work on this. Right. Um, on that mountain, the next hard is straight woman. So straight women, as as matches to a client, they're fantastic because it's not that they're agreeable; it's that they're 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 regular selves. They mm-hmm. just want to meet a guy who supports them, who is safe. They can feel safe around. Who's cute? Um, you know, they're they're asking for the most reasonable of reasonable expectations. <laughs> what happens when a straight woman pays a matchmaker is in that. 24 hour period where she then tells her friends, suddenly now you're not matching this female client. You're matching her friends of what they think (laughs) is 
for her. And listen, I'm a girl's girl. I love helping women. That's how we have a, an entire coaching program. That's like makes up so much of our revenue. Um, but in this case, it's like, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And suddenly where the woman said, I really don't care about looks. So you know what? I'm five foot four, Maria. As long as he's like five, seven, I'm okay. Like they'll say stuff like that. Right. Suddenly it's like, well, I paid you this amount of money. Mm. So he needs to be at least six foot tall. He needs a full head of hair. <laughs> needs to be making a million dollars a year. And it's like, whoa, you didn't say any of this when we met. And, you know, we took on women clients for eight years, straight women clients. And it was really hard. It was like, there were nights where I just wasn't sleeping because I was really stressed out. Um, and then when I had my first kid, I spoke to one of our partners, like, um, you know, we have relationships as matchmakers, other matchmakers. And she was telling, there's two matchmakers that I was talking to who were like, I am sick of men. I can't deal with men. You know, they're in their fifties. So they're like, you know, screw men in their thirties. I can't deal with this anymore. And I'm like, Hey, let me take on your men. You, you take the women, like they could deal with that. Like, they're like, I'll work on that. I'll make it my full-time job finding the kind of man in, in that. And also I can have those conversations with women like, Hey, you're being a little picky, you know, like, you know, whatever you need to do. Now, the hardest on that mountain of matchmaking is gay men. And it's because they're insanely social, uh, as a network, right. You know, there's, there's LGBTQ events. Um, there's, there's a political alliance events. There's all these different things that are happening where gay people can meet each other in their community. So the people that will hire a matchmaker, it tends to be at a place of like confidence of mm -hmm. like, Hey, I work for a company that makes me go to Niger once a month where it's illegal to be gay. I need to hire you or, Hey, um, I have a lot of uh, unresolved trauma because I lost a lot of my friends in the AIDS epidemic, uh, in the, in the eighties and early nineties. Uh, and so they've really struggled to like trust people. Um, or you'll have a situation where, you know, the dating, the gay dating community can kind of suck like every other dating community. And they're like, I don't want to get hurt anymore. You do it. And that is extreme high emotional bandwidth needed because they, everything that I just said is valid, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's in a society, we accept lesbian women far more than gay men. Mm. Like in, in, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense what sure. I'm saying. No, it does. Yeah, um, it does. So it's really hard for gay men to date. So, you know, um, uh, Gobby Match used to own one of the biggest LGBTQ matchmaking services. We have since broken that up to our preferred matchmaking partners who specifically only work with that community, not only um, being able to like build their emotional bandwidth, like, you know, keep it protected and working with their community, but their database going back to the integrity of the database, like making sure their database is also attracting the kind of people that you want to date. You don't want to like your database can't, it's, it's really hard to sustain, you know, multiple demos in a database without like, I think muddying the integrity of it. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So you touched on, on money. I think it's fascinating mm -hmm. that straight women are a lot more easygoing until they're paying money <laughs> for, to be matched. Yeah. It's very interesting. So, I mean, I titled this the elephant in the room, but I don't think it needs to be. It, it costs money to right. be matched. It costs a lot of money, especially for women. Like that's a really hard search. So I can completely understand if someone is forking over $50,000, mm. which is what a typical, like a good matchmaker, because there's other matching services that are far more affordable, but like the matchmakers I trust 
for you get for what female you matchmaking. For. They tend to shoot. They tend to be fifty thousand, fifty to and seventy thousand dollars. And how long is that contract? It's typically six months. Six months. Okay. So bearing that in mind, how is that reflected in your clientele? Like, are there certain commonalities among the people who pay that kind of money to be matched? Well, they're rich. It's funny. Like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They have disposable income, I suppose. Maybe, yes, maybe they have that's a dumb question. Income. Uh, my service tends to attract a lot of men between the ages of like 30 and 45. There's other matchmaking services where what I just said, that age range is just not existent. Their clients will be like 40 to 60 mm. uh, or 65, right? I, I think I can only speak to like my own clients. Like the clients that come to us tend to be, um, it's not that they come from like old money. It's that they come from a place of, uh, they're really busy. They have their value of time. So, um, some of my clients, like they work at like Blackstone or they work at Goldman or they work in like some other private equity firm or they have to be up at 6am and they go to bed at 10pm and they're very tired. They just don't want to swipe. They're like, I'm making bad decisions. Just you do it for me. Mm. And if you are a 36 year old man who has not had a girlfriend in four years and you're not married and you don't own a house and you don't have kids, you do have disposable income in your bank account. Mm. Like at some point there is a certain age where, uh, men in, at least in Manhattan, um, when a lot of your friends have gotten married and they're doing their own thing, you're not spending, you know, $10,000 on some weekend in Ibiza or whatever. Um, that then it's like, okay, I have to fork this money somewhere else to get the goals that I want, you know, to meet the goals so, that I want it. So this is going to sound really like boorish, but <laughs> I <laughs> always assume Let's an average bar, like a bar okay. where met, people go to meet each other. And there's a cover. Okay. And there's a cover. Yeah. Thank right. you. My, yeah, my yeah. Assistant, you're, you're, you really messed this here. up. Yeah, I screwed this up. <laughs> I know where I'm going with this, but it's hard to get there. So there's a cover. And men are going there to meet women and women are ostensibly going there to be men. You're going to find that there's going to be like 75% men there. They're all paying. And even with it being free for women, there mm-hmm. are way fewer women. So okay. my question to you is like in the, in the professional matchmaking arena, don't you, don't you find yourself often wanting to just take on female clients for free or for a hugely reduced rate? Because I would just imagine that the pool of women seeking out high-end matchmaking services is smaller than men, just by the just natural tendency, you know, like million-year-old tendency for women to expect, you know, the man to search for them and not vice versa. So I don't... um Okay. So an online dating world. So there's two different. Again, I'm here. speaking of oh, yeah. straight couples. Yeah. I, just want I understand. Make that clear. I understand. We're going to speak heteronormatively now. So an online dating world, um, like hinge or OkCupid or bumble or match.com mm-hmm. on average, the ratios are 60, 40 men, women. So there's always more men than women on online dating sites for the main reason that like online dating sucks for a lot of women. Um, you know, People, uh, I think for a lot of women joining an online dating site, they do want to be in a relationship. And because there's no barrier to entry of someone starting a profile, the guys that might be online could be already in relationships. They could just be looking to hook up. Um, It's not necessarily like, oh, I'm looking for a relationship, right? So there's a lopsidedness off the bat in ratios in online dating world. Um, In matchmaking, full on industry, the signups into any database including free member or client, um, is 95.5. So 95% female, 5% male. And that is because there is a stigma in matchmaking. 
Um, when you hear I hired a matchmaker, what other people hear is I want to get married in the next two years. Mm. There wow, so is you, no you need men. You don't need exactly. women. Exactly. Wow, I always that's need men. shocking. So now if I take on a female client, this is why female matchmaking costs double what male matchmaking costs because the amount of work a matchmaker has to do to set up a female client, like they have to start each time from scratch hitting the pavement. By the way, that's not to say that I currently have two VIP female clients. Like I always have one or two women that I'm working on every year. Um, but yeah, we, we refer out a lot of business, Mm. um, because we do not have the bandwidth to take on more women to take on more women. Like as a Gopi match would be, um, incredibly unethical. Mm -hmm. Mm. I can't take on that money. This is me, right? There's other matching services who don't give a shit. I know that for a fact, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll be like, we'll figure it out as we go. You give us the check and we'll figure it out. So wait, so I'm confused. There's an imbalance (laughs) here. So how can you have that many women and still be able to match them? Don't you need to have? Not everyone's going to get matched, right? Like I, in my database, I have 25,000 women and I only take on 15 clients at any given point. Mm, um, wow. Okay. And then, but we have a coaching program and that's about 400 women a month, uh, a year. Oh, okay. And so there's a huge waiting list for your very high. Okay. That's the part well. I didn't understand. There's a huge waiting yeah, list for your services. Down, she turns down many. It, what would you say is the rate of, of you turning away people for matchmaking service? At least one a day. Wow. We refer to a different partner because um, okay. we're just oh, not the this, right fit. This has clarified everything. That's okay. the that's the element I didn't understand. Okay. So um, my service. So you have access we, to to the world, and you choose who you want. So there's many, many, many males, people who yeah. want to pay for VIP service. Right. Yeah. Oh Got yeah. It. Especially okay. women. Like a lot of women want to pay for VIP, and you know, obviously we don't. Like I said, we don't have the bandwidth, so we'll refer them. Um, to a matchmaking partner that we think would be their best fit. Cause there's a, we have a few matchmaking partners. Got it. Okay. Um, so we want to make sure, you know, anytime someone comes to us, we always say like, you know, just schedule a dating strategy call. It's, it's $25. Um, but what that will help us do is like pinpoint, like, what are you looking for? Because not all matchmakers are created equal. There are certain recruitment methods. Um, you know, every client is different. So we want to make sure we set you up to the right matchmaker. It's a massive investment. We don't want you to make a mistake. Right. Hmm. And well, it's ethical of you to think that way. I mean, that's what I, you know, that's all you have though. Right. So yeah. your integrity. Um, mm-hmm. so you never take on a ringer, like no one ever, t- <laughs> I, I know a ringer. like a, like, so, like a superstar, like someone who, you know, personally, who's single and is like on paper is just unbelievable, but has no interest in paying for a matchmaker service, but was really looking for a partner and having some trouble just because they're really picky. Would you take someone on like that just for free, just to have no. them? Well, you would never do it. Okay. Well, I think I mean, they would like be a on man? the- No, I, as in your, so you would have access to them. Like this is a person I can say- Well, that's different with. than them being a match. Someone can be a free member in my database and they'll get free matchmaking if I think they're a match for my okay, client. I, yeah. I got you. Okay. So but you like there are to- people that like, there's people all the time where I'm like, yeah, you're great on paper. And like, I have a guy, right. This happened like a week ago where he's like, he interviews, goes, you know, I actually just want to be like a free member in your database. I have no intention of becoming a paying client. I'm like, okay, well, if one of the matchmakers who represents women asks me for a person just like you, I'll refer you to them. But otherwise, like, you're just going to be in my database twiddling right. your thumbs because, yeah. you know, 
I think that's. I, I mean, have to get paid in some way, right? I think it took you a while to realize that there's people who pay for the matchmaking service and people who are in the free this is database. This the part I was missing. Very <laughs> and that critical. Is like that's not just us. Like that is standard. Like ninety eight per ninety eight or ninety nine percent of the industry. Maybe it's ninety nine percent. Like I can only think of two services that do client to client. And it's not. That's exactly good. what I was mistaken. I thought this was all client to client. No, and that's, I wish I'd be okay. a billionaire if that I, were the case. That's um, what I was thinking. You have both sides of the market. It's like yeah, you're the market no, I maker. Because I wish that was like that, but it's not like that. Um, there okay. is a service that does it like that, but um, I, those those services have really poor reviews as a result, though, because like you know, essentially you're limited to your pool of paying yeah, clients. That's, that's so, like, I think as a matchmaker, no, your job yeah. is also just be open to like the universe's possibilities for other people. So, I'll give you a really great example of like how this would have worked for another person versus how it worked for me. So, one of my clients uh, back in 2015, you know, he went on like a few dates with us or whatever, and I, I got an idea of like, okay, now that he's gone on a few dates, I really understand who he's looking for. Anyway, I went to go see my nutritionist that day. If she was a new nutritionist, like I got changed by my provider to a different nutritionist. So I went to do like a meet and greet, get a new diet plan, you know, whatever. And as I'm talking to her, I just like, she was like very sweet, but kind of like stern. I can't explain it in a different way, but like, <laughs> she was just like very, very New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I just got this feeling where I was like, you know, I think I'm supposed to set you up with my client. Like I said to her, I was like, Hey, I know this is really inappropriate to ask, but can I ask you an inappropriate question? I always ask first, like, can I ask you a really inappropriate question? And they're like, sure. And I go, so I'm a matchmaker. And I just think you'd be such a great match for one of my clients. I don't know that much about you except for this conversation, but I just see the way you talk to me. I could see what you value in like what you're emphasizing for me. I just feel like you could be a match for my client. I'd really like to get to know you a little bit more if that's okay. We can set up another meeting in my office. And she was like, that sounds great. Let's do that. And she came to my office the following day and I set up with my client. I remember like the day after that, cause I had told them, I was like, are you free on Friday? And, um, they started dating six months later, he proposed to her. They got married on their one oh year anniversary. My. They own like, God. I think like a <laughs> vegan restaurant or something anyway. And Maria, that's talent. Yeah. That's, I that's know. real talent. So now imagine I am a proprietor of a client to client matchmaking service. Mm. I would have had to force this person to like pay me money that she might not right. have as a recent grad. Mm. Oh yeah. It's totally not feasible. Yeah. I get it. Now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you like, can I put remember, in your place. Yeah, everything makes more was, sense now. Yeah. There was a matchmaker once who said to me, um, who's doing client to client. She quit that model now, but this was like 10 years ago. And I said to her, and she worked in a different city where people tend to get married a little younger. And I said to her, okay, how does that work in your uh, geographic region. Like, you know, what if the match for your client is like a school teacher, like a 23 year old school teacher, she can't afford, she was charging very different. I think they were charging $3,500 or something, Mm. but even like, I think she was charging like $500 to be in the database. Like our database is free. She was charging $500. And I go, what 23 year old Mm -hmm. has $500 to give on a possibility of being matched to the future. And she's like, if it's important to her, she'll do it. I go, but there's no guarantees. Like I remember being 23, you know, I don't come from money. And I remember buying a slice of pizza and praying that the card would go through. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's a reality for a lot of people, you know? So I recognize that I work with a different subset of people, but that's not to say that they weren't in the same position that I was in my early twenties too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm very curious to know in your experience, what 
makes a mainstream catch? This is a Shandy's question, mm-hmm. by the way. So what, okay, we're talking straight relationships, straight men and women. What do men most commonly want and what okay. do women most commonly want? And then the, the question that will follow this is how often do people really know what they need? Okay. <laughs> Let me throw it back at you really quick. Um, Charlene specifically, okay. what do you think a man's number one ask is? Looks. Uh, wrong. What? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, oh. Okay, this just got more interesting. Oh, you're gonna do another guess? Let's hear it. Yeah, I, I want to take two. I'm gonna say like personality, like like the spice, the zing, the sort of like, you know, the the banter. Okay, that's a really good one. That is usually in a lot of people's list. So the number one ask that we hear from straight men is that she should have a passion for something. Interesting. Wow. Like oh my God, something. that's so that's heartwarming. Nice. It makes me feel better about the world. It makes me feel so much better. That was such a um, lovely answer. I would say like 95% of my clients, that's like the first thing that comes out of their mouth. Wow. Um, that's not to say that for straight men, looks aren't important. They are important, but looks vary of like what they're attracted to. Um, I think the media, if you were born before the year 2002, No, if you were born before the year 1998 and you came of age in the media that we were, we came into, right. In like Mm. the late nineties, early two thousands, where we kind of force fed the certain look we as women think men must like this. And I think a lot of men under the age of 27, when we were younger, thought they wanted that too. Mm. But if you looked at their porn hub search query, it was very different what they were masturbating to. And it was only (laughs) until they like guys grew up after the age of 27 not so long ago where they were like, oh no, I need a woman who like, this is actually what I'm attracted to. That's not to say that like only men were attracted to skinny women or, you know, men only want thin women. That's not the, but what I'm saying is that looks are very diverse. Like what men are interested in is extremely diverse and it's not what the media portrays Mm. now. Okay. Okay. So looks are still important. They're still on the top three list, but it's not number one at all. How much do your male clients, so paying clients care about women's profession. Even They're, even the ones that don't pay, none of them care. Not really? a single man has ever cared about what you do for a living as long as you're happy doing what you're doing for a living. So like in you other could words, be a stay at home mom. Yeah, the, the, passion. the passion could be anything. It doesn't have it to be It could be, be anything. It could be your it, kids. You just like right? like, like they yeah. don't men don't remember like these things. They also don't care about like how much money you make. Like the ones that do, it's not about the money. It's some other insecurity that they're wrapping around something tangible like money. Like if a guy is upset with you that you make more money than him, that has nothing to do with you. That has some trauma from their childhood that their parents have passed on to them that they need to work out with their therapist. Mm. That has nothing to do with you. So it's like, so anyway, so we, so number one is passion. And then like number two tends to be like looks or if they're paying, like age becomes a thing for a lot of guys. Okay. Um, especially if they want to have kids. Okay. Um, and people will get like upset. Like right now, like a 42 year old client that I'm currently actively recruiting for. And he, look, I'm very lucky that he is open to dating women between the ages of 32 and 42. But when I posted this on my social media, looking for women, women were like, some women were offended. He's like, he wants, he could, he could, he doesn't want to date anyone over his age. And I go, but he wants to have kids. He right. could date someone who's 45. Yeah, I suppose he could, but like, okay. Best case scenario, they get engaged in six months, they get married in a year. Okay. So now she's 46. Do you think they're going to be able to get pregnant on like the first try? Probably not. Like at what point 
you know, she might not be interested in having kids either at that point. Like there's other things to consider right. here, right? Mm-hmm. So right. his yeah. safest bet is saying 42 and under. And I'm like, okay, I'm happy because a lot of guys who are 42 that want to have kids, they don't want to date over 38. So it's like, oh, mm. he's up to 42. Like, wonderful. I love that about you. I think this is amazing. So I know that the reality of matchmaking is kind of insane, but it's just, it's not an HR office. Like yeah. people tell us really intimate things that they want mm-hmm. and we try to it's still a business right like i still them. try to it's well, a, da- no it comes from, like even when people t- like i'm like a hardcore democrat i've had trump clients and i try to like i you know it's like okay like if i have women that want to that can meet my client okay yeah. still made a love match Bus- what am i supposed to do tell them like no love for you yeah mm-hmm. business is business okay so what's the third one on that list like, okay, so men don't necessarily care so much about like what you do for a living or how much money you make, but they do care about like how you feel about those things. Okay. So, and then the third thing, which is pretty critical is like, is she kind? I hear that a lot mm. from men. Mm. And essentially what I think kind means is like, can she be vulnerable? Uh. And, and I appreciate that because, and that mm. has to do with like the kind of clients that I'm interested in taking too, right? Like I don't, if a client is not, like I have met men who are like, she needs to be a size zero. And that's like the first thing coming out of his mouth. It's like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know if I would necessarily take on that client because that's like really risky. Is sense of humor up there? Is sense of humor up there? Oh yeah, sense of humor. Oh yeah. And then for women, what they're looking for, um, I mean, I think by and large, women are looking for security. Hmm. But now the number one thing that women are looking for is that he goes to therapy Ah. Yeah, that's become a number one since the pandemic Um, and that he is emotionally healthy or trying to become more emotionally resilient. Okay, and so when you say security, like they we're talking now a paying female straight client. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about like what women just generally want. Paying women is different. I mean, I think that's what they're also looking for. They're looking for someone who has a lot of vitality, who's Hmm. who. It's weird because so I don't take female clients so much. It's like sometimes they'll say stuff like he needs to make this amount of money, but he also needs to be a 50%, 50-50 dad at home. And it's like, girl, <laughs> like, look, if he's making two million a year, he's going to pay for a nanny. He's going to pay yeah. for a maid. He's not. There aren't that many jobs. Yeah, that make that kind of that money. make that kind of amount of money. And you only work 40 hours a week. Yeah. Right. Or from it's- home. It's true. Or from home. Yeah. Like, so I think we need to, like, I mean, even my dad, who was a mechanic, you know, he was a car mechanic and he worked six days a week, 10 hour days. It was, you know, he contributed as much as the best that he can for his generation. But I think he, emo- he gave a lot to me and my sister emotionally too. Mm. There are people out there that make a lot of money who just emotionally check out when they get home. Yeah. They mm-hmm. feel they've so, done their duty by making that money and they're good. Right. And which is why I always say like financial compatibility has to come down to your lifestyle, not how much money someone makes. Mm. Because I know plenty of people that uh, have gotten divorced who made a shitload of money between each other, but they couldn't agree on like, you know, should our kid go to boarding school or should our kid go to the local private school? Or it's just it's just kind of different. I'll tell you something really quick. It's funny how deal breakers have shifted online across regions. So like in the U.S., because a lot of our morality is like stitched onto politics which is not the case in other parts of the world, you'll hear stuff like, you know, here, like the biggest deal breakers, like who did you vote for? Or what is your stance on a woman's right to like the autonomy of her body? You know, like these sort of things. In Europe, according to the CMO of Tinder, the chief marketing officer of Tinder, I think in Europe, the number one deal breaker is like climate sustainability, like climate change. Hmm. Oh, 
wow. Oh, I and like I think that. the same is in China as well or really? Hong Kong. Like, so it's very interesting to see um, uh, the deal breakers are dramatically shifting for Gen Z mm-hmm. compared to pre- to the older generations. Okay, very interesting. Okay, I have. I want to harp. I just want to get. I'm very curious about the paying female clients, what they're looking for. And then I have our last question for you, Uh, because you said that, you know, they they care about how much money they make and that they go to, you know, the the database clients care about therapy. How high do do looks tend to rank for women? Is it the same as men? Not at all. Really? Doesn't even register. So they're more open minded with looks. I have been I don't even share my clients photos to women. They're just like, okay. They don't care. That's why I think uh, that's like the biggest fault of online dating. So like an online dating world, it's made women believe that like they need to see a guy's photo. Mm-hmm. I need to swipe. I need to see him. But the truth of the matter is, is that if I took you to your friend's wedding and you stood at the open bar and the guy spoke to you like and he looked at you in the eyes and he did not bring out the creep factor um, and he made you laugh just a little bit. And he asks you questions. It doesn't matter what it looks like. He'll, you'll think he's a hundred percent at the end. Oh, wow. You know, you'll think he's a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think women there are- is like a small, like I would say like percentage wise, cause I've been doing this for almost 15 years. Like as a professional, I can count in maybe two hands where a woman insisted in seeing a photo before being matched by us. Fascinating. Fascinating. And how about sense of yeah. humor? Like how funny he needs that's, to be. Yeah, that's number one. That's like, that's top three. Sure. Okay. But also that. like sense of humor, that doesn't mean anything, right? Like everyone has a sense of humor. It's, I was like, so we always ask like, so what kind of sense of humor? Like slapstick? Like who's your, <laughs> what's your favorite show? What's your go-to show? Yeah. Um, Like if like, you know, me and my husband, we love Ted Lasso. And I think that speaks a lot to like our sense of humor, mm-hmm. which is like very quick. Yeah. And like banterish. Yeah. But that will be different than someone who likes, I don't know, modern two and a half men. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. well, modern family is also quick banter. Um, but like someone who likes no offense to Chuck Lore, but like someone who likes two and a half men mm-hmm. is very different than someone who maybe likes arrested development. That's mm-hmm. a very good way of narrowing that down because sense of humor is so subjective. It's true. You have to be specific. Yeah. I, so the, sense of humor I falls under like your intellectual compatibility. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, that's super important to be like intellectually compatible with someone. And some people think like, oh, that has to do with degrees. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It does not have to do anything with degrees. It has to do with like, you know, what do you laugh at? Or what do yeah. you think is important? Or what do you want to, how do you communicate with people? Yeah. Um, yeah. getting yeah, it. So I think it's more about getting it. You don't have to be funny yourself. You just have to get it. So I, I think probably just asking what your favorite TV show yeah, is. Yeah, that's actually a really good get idea. It done. Okay, so final question. You touched on it briefly there with the idea of photos, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot. So we obviously live in swipe culture, the sure. online dating. Everyone is on at least one app, if not multiple. How mm-hmm. would you say this has changed dating? We talk about this a lot about, you know, the dynamics, who has the power, that kind of thing. And then the sub question of that is how has that affected your business, if at all? This particular question would take like 40 minutes. Like, <laughs> it's like its own episode. Um, like online dating has had like, I think we're on our like sixth wave of like dating shift uh, mm. post-pandemic. You know, I don't know, like that's like a question for another day, I suppose. But okay. to answer your sub question, which is yeah. like how it's affected my business, um, it only for the best, I suppose, like there is a 
there is a subset of the population that, that can't, that has never done online dating because they can't for privacy reasons. And now there's a major subset of people who just are experiencing dating fatigue. Mm. So when oh. Tinder came out, I remember thinking like, oh, this is going to like affect my business. It certainly affected the online dating industry as a whole. Something like 40% of websites like shut down mm. within 15 months of Tinder coming out, uh, which is a couple hundred websites because there's websites that you don't even know about. Right. So there's like these like small little websites that existed before um, Swipe came out, like, you know, before Tinder came out and um, they just collapsed. Like it was interesting to see the industry kind of like flatten out mm. and you would see it at conferences, like there's dating industry conferences and you would see like one dating industry conference had like a thousand people and the following you know year, it was like 150. Ooh, so wow. it was interesting to see like a collapse there. And I remember thinking there at that conference, I was like, Ooh, is this going to affect my business now? Nope. Like, you know, it's all matchmaking has only become more popular. Well, I would think it would help because yeah. what online dating does is it just forces you to devote so much more time right. and mental energy Extreme to dating. dating fatigue. Yeah. yeah. And like, you're forced think, into it because the whole tide rises. So everyone has to do it. So if anything, I would think it would help because people are going to want someone to do it for them and to save them the time. As you said, your clients are very busy. They have the right. money and they're very busy and they don't have time for this. So I would think it would help. I mean, it's certainly an investment, but like, I think, I don't know what the act number is now, but in 2018 match.com said that for like, or match group rather, which owns all these websites, they said something like for every 11 hours online, there's a physical date. And I'm like, that's a lot of wow. time to be swiping that's to go on a like date with someone work who, days. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of time to be spending. And it's like, okay. And then if you come to us, like, you know, some of our clients go on dates every single week, uh, depending on their search criteria. Right. So if a client becomes like super strict, it's only gonna be like every other week. But, um, cause there are clients that are very strict depending on like their religion or like, right. you know, maybe they have children, they want more children. So it's like, you have to find women who are like open to having hit their kids and more kids, you know? So it's, there's a lot of searching that takes place in the back, but, um, yeah. So it just, it's very different. It's very mm. different worlds. We all belong under the same umbrella, but um, just very different mindsets of approaching dating fatigue. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Matchmaker Maria, thank you so much for, for sharing oh, your wisdom and insights with us. And I know our shanties are going to be fascinated. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Great. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Thank Thanks you. for yeah. coming Only on. Thank for making time. You have, okay, a good have a good one. Bye. Bye. Ooh. Ooh. This was one of those episodes that I really wish could have been twice as long because we barely made a dent in our list of questions. It was really interesting, actually. Yeah, I learned a lot. It's so funny to me. Like, it really does represent human nature. And I have to admit, if I were paying $50,000, I also would probably go in with different expectations. But it's so interesting how she said, when a woman is on the free network or the free database yeah she's like so much more easygoing than when she's paying oh yeah it's like you want to you feel like you want to get your money's worth and suddenly you i i can picture you becoming more and more demanding it's like money should buy me like prince charming well i think just a be, rich prince well prince charming is a prince so i guess he's rich just to just to <laughs> just to be like my 1950s self i think women respect shopping more than men on average <laughs> <laughs> and they like to get good deals <laughs> They want to get their money's worth. I actually found the answer with men. The number one thing they want is a is passion. Passion. For her that to, was really, I, I felt good about that. That was maybe the highlight of this for me. Is I feel like. So oh. unexpected, but also so right. 
That's yeah. exactly what they should want. I love how she was like, don't get me wrong, looks matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like close <laughs> second. Number two. Yeah, right? yeah. But it was still sort of heartwarming to know that. That was a very surprising family feud, number one answer. Yeah, I wonder if there's something to be observed there and like the kind of guy that spends this kind of money on being matched. I mean, that's a lot of disposable income, right? Yeah. That's a huge amount of money to spend yeah. for six months. Yeah. So that kind of person, I imagine, makes enough money where they're already able to be really selective in dating because, of, you know, because of how, what a high value a man who makes a lot of money is in sure. society. And therefore, maybe he's learned that it's not just, you know, that, that that's something that he's been missing. Do you know what I mean? Well, maybe it's it, the fact that he's out in the wild and he's giving off that money uh -huh. to the women he's meeting. <laughs> yeah. They're biased. So there's an inherent issue there. Oh. So he's going out and meeting women and he never knows whether it's about the money or about something else. Because oh. he's giving off, he's probably leading with money, whether he likes it or not. Oh, that's so, oof, there's so much to dig into there. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. You know, I've got to say, if I were single at my age, I would 100% at least be on that database. Oh, you, <laughs> I like that. Like, you wouldn't put the down payment on a home? Yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't have that kind of money, but it's like... I can 100% see dating fatigue yeah. being a thing. Yeah. 11 hours leading to one in-person date? Well, that's why that's why it's counterintuitive. You'd think that online dating would be encroaching upon matchmaking. But like I was saying, I actually think it really is encouraging it. Mm. It's an escape. Yeah. I mean, it costs a lot of money. Or it doesn't if you're in the database, now that I know that. It's a <laughs> huge piece of information for yeah. me. But... I think that in this day and age, if you have the money, you're basically paying for the time. What's more valuable than time? Mm. If you have disposable income and you, you're able to put down that kind of money for mm -hmm. six months, why not? Like oh. you hire a, like a daycare or a babysitter or a, a housekeeper. Oh, I 100, or, I'm on the same page as you. For me, if I had that kind of disposable income, 100%, I think this is actually a good investment Yeah, because what's this is one of the most important things. It's one of the things that humans seek in life. And you're hiring a professional who's like meets a nutritionist for the first time. And is like you, like there's something almost like supernatural about that ability. I don't feel I possess that. No, no. I think it's an extremely valuable service. Yeah, it really is. And I, I don't it's see just it. about money. If you have that money laying around, it is just about money in the end. Yeah. If you can afford it, this is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, is that the conclusion <laughs> to this? <laughs> Great takeaway. But yeah, I do feel like online dating in a weird way. I imagine, and she talked about that conference, like I imagine that in the early few years when it became more normalized. So the stigma of online dating was gone. I remember when I was in my early 20s, the stigma was alive and well. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it's not like Match.com didn't exist, but you weren't advertising to people that you were on match.com, you know, no. you, you weren't just open about it. So I feel like as, t you know, as the stigma decreases, probably, and more and more people are on it, I can imagine in the beginning with matchmaking, it, it affected business. And then as it became more and more normalized, people are just, it's too much. People are in multiple apps. They're putting in 11 hours for one damn date. I imagine over time, it's like, find me a matchmaker. 
Isn't it funny how freedom ends up being a noose in the end? Everyone wants freedom. They want choice. They want choice is not your friend. Choice and freedom. Yeah. And in the end, what happens? You end up spending fifty grand. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting is it sort of brings you back to this place. You know, she's talking about her grandmother. You know, this runs in her family. It's so interesting. It's all about like, you know, people in your community in the old days. You know, people are meeting people who through school or through family friends who live on their street and suddenly encounter all this choice. It doesn't help you. No, no. It helps you become more stressed out. I mean, I always talk about how how choice is not my friend. It paralyzes me. And in the end, how did we meet? I just met you in in a place. Just sat next to you or you sat next to me. (laughs) Unintentionally, let's be clear. (laughs) Oh, that was really, wow. That was enlightening. Yeah. I honestly, I want to have another conversation with her because I did want to talk. I have like, we literally have like another equal number of questions. At least a full additional podcast. Yeah. At least. And I love how she was so honest. She's so honest. She was like, oh, I can't answer that question in a few minutes. No. (laughs) Yeah. I was hoping it would be like speed questions. Like, yes or no? Okay. Next. (laughs) Yeah. I think we wrote out questions sort of like this was going to be a speed dating situation. Yeah. But I will say that I found her to seem very competent. 100%. She means business. She's not playing games. I love how they turn people away. And she even said, she's like, I know people who don't. But the fact that they turn people away who are paying that kind of money says so much. Right? It reminds me of that Madoff thing we saw. Oh, what about it? How like he wouldn't let people invest in his fund. Oh, it almost adds to the well, It makes the, the, the allure. Let's not you know? compare her to Madoff. No, no, no. She's got nothing to do with Madoff, but I'm just saying. Yeah, no, I that think. there's an allure to that. I mean, that just makes it even more enticing. Yeah. And it also just shows such integrity because she could just take, you know, laugh all the way to the bank. Yeah. But she really values her success rate. 93%. You don't get 93% rate by just saying yes to everyone. But you also are not going to stay in business if you don't have a high success rate. Yeah. So she's got to be careful. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's built in that you, if you get, if you pay for it and she accepts your money, you're going to have a very good shot at getting what you want. Yeah. And it, it also shows that she thinks she can really help you. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. a doctor. He's yeah. like, yeah, I can, I can fix this problem. Yeah. Wait, is it like a doctor? He's going to charge you anyway. It's not like a doctor. (laughs) You know, I feel like more people in this world need to be like that, though. Like, can you imagine if everyone at everything they did had a 93% success rate for the thing that they accept money for? Not a lot of people do that. No. Like, like, just to talk about, because I'm a singer, like, if voice teachers were honest up front, like, I can help you, I can't help you. I'm not going to take your money if I don't think I can. Like, can you imagine if attorneys only took your money if they had a 93% oh my God. feeling that they would win? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, 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 I think that it would be a beautiful place. The, the, the point, the point Everyone would be made. suing everybody constantly, <laughs> which they don't already do. Of course they do. Okay. I think that's a wrap. Great yeah. guest. Great sure. conversation. Yeah. If you enjoyed what you heard today, you know what we will ask of you. And that is to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Leave us Apple and Spotify podcast ratings and reviews and generally do all of the things, including telling your friends that you would do <laughs> to support a podcast you enjoy. They were parentheses in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye-bye. Yeah.